0: Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We've got a full debrief on the Champions Cup quarterfinal action coming up together with a little bit of Lions chat. And we're joined by none other than the Six Nations Player of the Championship, Hamish Watson, as well.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important Get your oil change, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: Well, usually I'd start by asking how your week's been, boys, but no doubt you both got some thoughts that you'd like to share on Prince Philip today.
3: Oh, yeah. Obviously, firstly, 99 Elephant Innings, what an absolute legend. I met him once, Prince Philip. He looked at me once. I looked at him at Tins's wedding in 2011, Goody. And uh, I remember just looking at him and the whole royal family, obviously in awe. I didn't know I was a royalist until I was at Tins's wedding and I couldn't stop looking at them and fanboying over them. And I just remember the speeches going on. Ian Bolshaw was best man
0: doing the speech. With half his face missing as well because he fell off a scooter a few days before.
3: Exactly, yeah. And I just remember looking at Prince Philip, like I'm thinking, because it, it was a pretty loose speech, and Prince Philip was just sat there with a massive smile on his face. I remember saying to Tins, I was like, mate, Prince Philip was absolutely loving the speech as he said he probably didn't have a clue what was going on he's he, he's nearly deaf in both of his ears he says but he just absolutely loves it he just loves everyone being together and all the lads but yeah our thoughts are obviously with everyone goody i know you're a royalist
0: probably more so than me but prince philip what a legend yeah it's massively sad you hear the outpouring of emotion around the world uh not only in britain but from all the people that he's touched and obviously the family as well and um, we know a few of them obviously you know it's zara's granddad so it's exceptionally sad but yeah, you you just see some of the things that go around, and, and you remember the impact that he's had, and uh, you know the service that he's given our country. It's phenomenal. So, yeah, hell of an innings. I remember the wedding as well, and I remember him walking past you, Jim, and uh, he said that your kilt looked like his curtains back home um, at Buckingham <laughs> Palace. So uh, he had a he had a great sense of humour, and so a lot of people will attest to that. So, uh, yeah, massive shame, and um, you know everyone's paying their respects in. In a rightful way and uh, you know our thoughts with everyone in the family and that's been affected by it
1: around the world. Have you managed to get out and about in the sunshine this week? I have actually. Have you James? You know what I don't know whether the millions of people out there
3: know this. I'm an animal lover. I like animals right. I like safaris, game reserves in South Africa. I'm not a fan of zoos. I put that on Twitter once and it, it didn't get a great response off that because of The good stuff that some of the zoos do. But anyway, my point being, I've been out there in the open countryside over the last week with the kids. It's lambing season, right? So I'll tell you what, some really interesting shit that I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that lambs could be born as triplets. I didn't know one sheep could give birth to three lambs. Apparently they can. They did. I saw it. We were there. Kids were involved. You didn't think that was possible? I didn't think that was possible, no. I I thought two was was kind of the most and if there was triplet it was it
1: was a rarity okay well twins Um, is even more common than just not having twins just a single lamb
3: well there you go a kiwi knows i didn't know any of this as
0: much trust me a kiwi knows everything about sheep doesn't he? look at him
3: well let me tell you this now here is a story for you talk about the circle of life so there's a dead lamb and i'm thinking okay it's died because of the Cold or whatever—it's obviously been a bit of snow in Scotland this weekend. Not because of ice. No, no, no dogs are involved. <laughs> no dogs are involved, but a crow or a bird was involved. So JJ has gone up to it, and said, "Dad, what's happened? His eyes are missing, and his guts are hanging out." And I know it oh. sounds quite—you know—it's quite, but it's, this is life, right? That this is happening. So my mate, who's the farmer, so from a socially distanced distance, of course, because of the situation we find ourselves in, China and all that, he says to me. That that lamb has probably didn't even live past five minutes. So as soon as it was been born, the crows have come down, eaten his eyes, and then eaten his ass. Imagine having your eyes eaten and then not knowing who's eating your ass, and then you die. Could you imagine that?
0: (laughs) What a thing to say! Imagine having your eyes eaten and then not knowing who's eating your ass. I don't think you're worrying about not knowing who's eating your ass i think you're more worried about your eyes are gone but these well this is what whatever way you look at it now it might sound
3: the vulgarities of it it sounds horrid but this is happening out there on our doorstep and um i thought you know what i I know we're having a little bit of a joke about it you don't want to joke about it but it, it, it is happening but very educational for the kids You know, and all the sustainability stuff that's all happening now and, you know, grow your own, eat your own, share your own. But then if you're sharing it, you're not eating it your own. I don't really get it. But just do it on your own, basically. And that's what we're out there showing the kids. And I was horrified, but they were quite intrigued by the circle of life.
0: Lovely, James. Lovely. Well, I said to the missus about 20 minutes ago, we put the kids to bed, looked at her and said, we've made it. We have made it, love. And she's like, what are you on about? I said, we've made it through another lockdown. The pubs are opening. Next weekend, when the nanny's not here, we can go to the farm, we can go to the zoo, we can go wherever people want to go. Uh, there's, it's been tough for families. You've got two nannies. <laughs> Would you say the last year has been tough for you or, or not? It's, it's been tough for everyone in their own different ways. It's been tough. All I'm saying, and I say it every week, I love the nanny. Amanda, you are a godsend to us. But Friday, Saturday, Sundays, batting down the ashes with the twins, The missus, like, we turn our hair out. What can we do? Oh, we can go for a walk. I can't walk because I'm on crutches. Um, So she's even more raging with me than normal. Um, But we've managed to get through because the boozers are open. All I'm saying, I'm going to sit and – I don't care what the weather's like tomorrow – as a boozer at the top of my road. I have booked a table to sit on my own. I don't care. I'll socially distance from anyone, but I'll be there in shorts and t-shirt, me flip-flops. It could be snowing tomorrow.
3: You'll be with me because I'm walking now. I will, I'm will. i leaving now. Am I allowed? I'll be
1: there with a pint of Guinness and blackcurrant in my hand. And um, yeah, can he wait for it? Well, at least we had some rugby to keep us company throughout the lockdown. And it always looked like the pick of the quarterfinals, the game at Sandy Park. Didn't disappoint either, did it?
0: It didn't. And you look at all four quarterfinals. Saturdays were brilliant. Sunday's abysmal absolutely abysmal <laughs> just blame the French but yeah that let, let's start off at Sandy Park then because that was a phenomenal game wasn't it both sides going at each other hammer and tongs Exeter going to a 14-0 lead some horrific refereeing decisions come out for both teams loads of points to debate around the tackle and Johnny Hill and Janis Kirsten in the second half but the better the better team won in the end um, Exeter haven't been playing as well as they did last year obviously last weekend against Lyon They made quite a few errors, but their class and power game got them through in the end. Uh, But they've come up against a champion team and, and, you know, Leinster are a champion team. You look at the squad they've got and we've had Lanny on here and, you know, numerous other players that have been and are in that Leinster setup. You know, Sexton goes off early and I'm sure Jim will make the point that it's probably time for him to retire. Jim, why are you being horrible? Byrne comes on and he's phenomenal. (sighs) Exeter will be a bit disappointed within themselves though. Credit Leinster, they deserve to win. But extra look back on it, and I hate to say it, Jim. He's a friend of the show. He's a top bloke. He's a brilliant player. Hoggy's had a bit of a mare for two of their tries.
3: Where? Tell me. I I, I didn't I didn't see the well, defensive he, stuff.
0: He missed a tackle on Llama's try.
3: Oh yeah. Okay. But I don't think I don't think missing a tackle though is people miss tackles, don't they? You miss a tackle.
0: I'm not pinning any bl- blame solely on him. It, on the day, Lentz were better, but extra look back on it with a couple of things where they think. If we'd have been just a bit better in those few moments, you know, the result could have been different. And there was one in the first half as well when Keenan gets the offload away around the back of Hoggy's back. Your second man into the tackle, you've got to go and end it and prevent the offload as well. James Lowe scores off that. And then the second try comes from a line out from a penalty that Matu has had an absolute mare. It was never a penalty to Leinster. They came in at the side. Someone's gone off their feet. There's hands on the floor all over the place. Anyway, Lens to get the penalty kick it into the 22. They play a lovely move off the line out, um, and hoggy just gets caught a little bit too tight, and llama scores in the corner. So, just like and and it's knockout rugby, quarterfinals, semi-finals, whatever it is of Champions Cup. Sometimes it's the minute details that are the difference between winning and losing games. And unfortunately, extra off the pace. Slightly. Well, you mentioned
3: that you mentioned last week because I actually went back because I couldn't remember what we picked. So I was thinking. Who am I supporting here? Because I can't remember who I picked. So I went back and looked through who picked who. You went for Exeter and I went for Leinster. But I mean, I was on an R Of course it was. I was on the fence. But I'm pretty it was. sure it, you it, said Exeter. No, I said Leinster. Did I you? I promise. Yeah. I went back and listened to it. You went for Exeter. I went for Leinster. But. It just, it, I, I, the comments you made around Exeter were right. They've not been the same team. And we spoke about Leinster missing the game against Toulon the week before. So, how would they be? But, mate, they were they, they were brilliant, weren't they? Some standout performance in that Leinster team. Josh van der Fleer in the back row. Reese Ruddock as well. I mean, the whole pack was phenomenal, really. Yeah. Henshaw in the centre. Uh, James Lowe, who. Arguably didn't play amazing for Ireland in the Six Nations um, defensively. Big Dev. Big Dev, I thought, played really well. You know, bringing on Ryan Beard again. Maybe that... He's good, isn't he? I'll tell you now, he's going to be the best out of all of them. Better
0: than James Ryan?
3: I I think so, yes.
0: Because he nicked a crucial line out as well, didn't he? Um, Which led to Lama's try in the second half. uh, Five minutes out from Exeter's line.
3: Yeah, he effectively, against Scotland as well, got the uh, charge down Ali Price. And then Henderson got the turnover and... That was that was all she wrote. But to be fourteen nil down and to come back, you know, you're thinking around the Saracens game we spoke about last week, could they be in a situation like that this time round? But no, I thought they were very, very good.
1: And I'm sure we'll talk about it. Z ref. <laughs> oh, you guys both tweeted about Johnny Hill's tackle. Do you guys want to give your thoughts on whether or not that should have been a a card? Oh. Whether or not
3: I personally think it should have been a card. It doesn't really matter what I think personally anymore. Professionally, and we can probably talk about it more, good because there's loads of instances over the weekend. Something's clearly happened within the referees' uh, WhatsApp chat where they've said, look, let's try not to card people this weekend, please, and not be the talk of the town. But Johnny Hills, for me, was a definite
0: yellow, minimum. Did they say that there wasn't much force, though? And this is the thing... It's, you know, when he first makes contact, it's it looks like a, a dream tackle because he smashed him below the head and neckline. It is borderline, but it's it's perfectly legal. But then it's the follow-through of his arm, isn't it, that catches him in the mush. So that's where the debate lies, whether there's contact in the head. I didn't think it was a red card at all.
3: It would have been a red card a few months ago, even last week or the week before. I think that that would have been given us a red card. Kirsten's definitely would have been a red card. But... Um, Johnny Hills he's got to be careful. He, yeah. One the, one thing on Johnny he's boycotted the podcast for whatever reason. He's mates with all the England lads. He must be best mates with um I don't know Ford and Rob Shaw and all these other people that Goody calls out. But I think um, it's you mate. It's, it's you. <laughs> was, okay. Play Faz mate. It,
0: mate, Faz doesn't like you and he's told the boys not to come on the podcast.
3: I've put Faz as the captain of the Lions, but <laughs> Johnny Hill I actually think he looks bigger, more athletic than he did for England. I don't know. How he's put on so much weight. Anyway, that was maybe because I just saw him in slow mo. But he's just got to be a little bit careful, hasn't he? Because that's that's what like Kirsten comes on. He's flying out the line, puts a massive shot in. He's out of control, and there's loads of them at the weekend. I think for me, watching it now, there's a frustration. Is like,
0: why are you doing that? Why are you putting yourself at risk? That that's the big thing. Is not it? it's changing the behaviour, and the reason part of the reason for world rugby to make these changes is the fact that. Defences have had the upper hand for quite some time, and allowing teams to fly off the line uncontrolled and go and belt people, and now you've got to be controlled in contact. So yeah, massive, massive question marks around it. Um, you know, it didn't affect the game really, did it? Because Leinster went on to win. Leinster were, were superb. The, the only thing for Exeter for me is nine points down. Stu Townsend, you've got the easiest kickable penalty with ten minutes to go tap and go. No, don't tap and go, son. Take the easy three, bring it back to six, and then you've got eight minutes. That changes actually how Leinster can defend, because it's a one-score game. And we all know now that, you know, giving penalties away, you can give penalties away, and the game can keep going to the 90th minute if you want to, but just keep kicking it to touch. So that was a a bit of a brain freeze from Exeter. Um, Stu Townsend, pretty disappointed with himself, I'm sure. And Rob Baxter alluded to it, didn't he? Going off script a bit. But sometimes pressure that the opposition have put on you and Leinster champion team put extra under the pump. The breakdown was where they dominated as well, wasn't it?
3: Well, they made a thing, a, a, a talk on comms, didn't they, Goody, about, you know, and Tim will no more, produce a team because he does all the stats. The extra don't compete that much at the breakdown, whereas Leinster uh, always go hard. The, you know, the, yeah. who, whoever's playing for them, Furlong, Porter, obviously, all of the back row. So, um, like, that, that's the French referees allow... Contest, you can be on your elbows, you can be on your edge, you can be on your arse, and you can still <laughs> compete for ball. So, like, if you're Leinster, you're well at you're well up there
1: going into that game, but Exeter, they don't compete. You touched on Robbie Henshaw before, Jim. Surely the starting line spots his now.
3: Well, what I should say about Robbie Henshaw, and again, I don't want to categorize lads that need haircuts and don't need haircuts or do their own haircut, he needs a haircut. So, <laughs> he. He desperately is a haircut, especially before the Lions photos get taken. I don't know when they get taken, but I imagine hairdressers might be open outdoors, indoors, different in Ireland. But he's a fantastic player, that is for sure. He was class for for Ireland. He's physical. He doesn't look that big. And I judge a man by his arms.
0: Mate. He is, mate.
3: But he doesn't like on... And I, I spoke to Ravo's arm about Victor Vito uh, from La Rochelle. He's like, oh, slug, I walked past him in the corridor. He's massive. I was like, mate, you've got a full on dad body. He obviously looks big, but you look at like Will Skelton for Larashell looks huge. You know, yeah. James Ryan, Reese Ruddock look massive. Uh, tag Furlong. But for me, I don't know, is, is Henshaw that big? What was he, 90, 90 kgs, 95? Let's
0: google it, shall yeah. we? He ain't 100 kgs. He's 6'2, 6'3. Let's see what weight they put him down as, because obviously that's never true, because I, I was always down as about 90 kilos. It says 99 on uh, Wikipedia, so you can always add. Five or six onto that, trust me. Um, if you And this is the big thing. There's all this Lions debate going on at a minute um, around who should be in, who's not going to be in. We did our own test teams two weeks ago. But if you're picking the here and now, 100% Henshaw's starting in the centres. And the beauty of Henshaw is he can play 12 and 13. But there's so much water to go under the bridge between then. We've still got another four or so weeks till the score gets announced. And then mate, the Lions tour is still a long way away. And what did you tweet? It's going on in Dubai or something, Jim?
3: Yeah, I'll add a few gin and tonics again. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> My fingers just start getting a bit fiddly. Um, I've, I've heard rumours, again, that it's that there's there's talk of that. But anyway, tell how they eat that. If it's in Dubai, as much as I love going to Dubai, I can't see me going in June or July where it's 65 degrees.
1: I <laughs> can't see it being played there either. There's no uh, English teams in the semi-finals of the Champions Cup either after Sale, well beaten by La Rochelle. They look a bit tired after the six-day turnaround, do you think? I feel awful. Faf got taken off at sixty
3: minutes, and I'm thinking: as he's walking off, is he blaming us? That's what I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> I don't think he is, Jim. I don't think he is. No, and- he's not.
3: No, he's not. He's blaming the physicality and the size of
0: Larochelle. Six-day turnaround in knockout rugby is crazy. Larochelle played Gloucester on the Friday night, didn't they, of the last sixteen game, and then you've got Sale going to Scarlets on the Sunday. So effectively, Larochelle going back home. They've had an eight-day turnaround. Sale have had a six-day turnaround. They've got to get home from Scarlet's. So I no, you know that's not a big thing, but you lose a day's training. You've also got your travel to France involved as well. So for them to have a six-day turnaround, uh, I thought was was horrific. But you look at the game and you look at the class and power and everything that Lara show had, um, I think they're always going to win that game. Again, a couple of points that Sale will learn from. And Alex Sanderson said this, they'll learn from, from their mistakes in this game. You know, the try just after half, the 10 minutes after the half-time were crucial. The try that Raymond Rule scored um, off the back of the line-out, and if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of defending the, the tail of a line-out, Curry has gone inside McGinty. They're trying to get some line space. they have flown off the line. Curry's got left behind slightly. He's over-chased. LaRochelle are only attacking with their back line. They haven't gone to a six-man line-out. Uh, and then to get beaten on the inside at the back of a line-out when you've got no tail gunner off the back of the line-out, Curry's got left behind, then over chases to get to Higher West when there's the inside ball to Roman Rule. Um, then he finishes pure class. So that was one error. And then Hammersley's error as well. Two tries in 10 minutes. You know, La Rochelle, once they got a 14-point lead, there was no way that Sale were going to come back from that. So, they, you know, Sale have done exceptionally well. And it's it's like anything, it's a growth stage, isn't it? Alex Hansen knows that from his time at Saracens. They lost plenty of sort of knockout games until they got that dominance in the competition everyone's done it Sale are a team that are coming through um, and they're going to be here for a few years with you know the the structures they've got in place at the club the head coach the players etc and they'll learn from that and you know hopefully we'll bounce back better net for it next year but Larochelle, a proper team proper power unbelievable players you know in key positions Victor Vito absolutely redonkulous offload
3: that offload was redonkulous yeah did you have that in your locker well I had it in the locker but I never opened the locker so (laughs) (laughs) I don't even I I wouldn't if I was Gregory Aldry or or it would have probably come off my head as well because I wouldn't expect anyone to have that in the locker (laughs) yeah I think Goody right six day turnaround was always going to be tough mate, they're actually better than I thought I don't know I've not watched much of the top 14 but you look at the profile of the team um, obviously, O'Gara, uh, John O'Gibbs as well, involved in that setup. And you look at the other French teams who didn't play that well this week and that we can talk about. But we had Fafon last week. We know my love affair with Al Sanderson and our love of sale as well. It's fair play to them. They've made a real statement and they've actually shown. What the future could be like for them, and you look at the yeah. the backbone of that team, the quality that they've got. Um, I think next next year in Europe could be huge
1: for them. But uh, yeah, six day turnaround to then go to La Rochelle is always going to be tough. Well, we can have a bit of a break now from the Champions Cup action and have a chat to the man who was named Six Nations Player of the Championship a week or so ago. Hamish Watson joins us. How are you, mate?
4: Yeah, very good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on,
1: Hamish. Hey,
4: it's great to have you
3: on now. I don't want to be calling you out as a big-timer, but I did say on the phone to you, if this was 2015, you would have wanted to come on every single week. We missed you last week. We had to get another man with a great lid in FAFTA clerk. It's great to have you, but do you want to explain to the millions? They might know, if they if they watch Hashtag Always Edinburgh, they might not know, but why you boycotted us last week?
4: Um, I think you mentioned it, but I got, um, <laughs> I, I got asked to come on by you guys, obviously, and I was very grateful for it, but it was... Um, It just happened, it was before the Racing game, and obviously the Racing game didn't go too well for me and my fellow gunners. So I didn't think it was appropriate for me to come on the pod and talk rugby and chat rugby when we had just been battered by rassing. So we've gone for it this week and I'm happy to be on and it's uh, 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Excited to be here, guys. (laughs) Well, mate,
0: listening to you is great. It's great having you on. And I I forgive you for last week. So I understand Cockers is an angry little man. Uh, Perhaps you can't say that. But yeah, taking a good hide-in over in rassing probably wasn't the best thing. But I I just, I actually can't understand what you're saying. But that that Scottish accent is coming through like you wouldn't believe. Um, You know, born in Manchester. That's in Scotland somewhere as well, isn't it? You know, Leicester Tigers Academy. It's on the borders, mate. Leicester Tigers Academy. You should have played for England, pal. You're the best player in the Six Nations, but you're English.
4: No. No, um, no, I obviously get the accent thing a lot but I followed my um superstar I went a similar route to him big Jim
3: oh thank you Mesh. I love your hair I whatever I said <laughs> uh, just just Mesh. tell us a bit about your background then because people would be intrigued to know and now you are um a worldwide wide wide household name in rugby and fully deservedly so but a lot of people kind of Put Scots who don't have Scottish accents because it is is a thing. Oh, he's not Scottish. Hamish Watson, arguably the most Scottish name you can get. But maybe just give us a bit of your backstory about how you've evolved to become the Guinness Six Nations player of the tournament.
4: Yeah. So I think most uh, people may know I'm obviously not born in Scotland. So I've got a Scottish grandparent on both, on both sides of the family. And uh, my dad. Was a Scotland was always a Scotland uh, fan. So when I was being brought up in in England down south in Manchester, um, you know, well in my family anyway, you normally follow. I followed what my dad was doing, and my dad was um, my dad was a big Scotland rugby fan. So that's uh, that's what I did. I just followed what, followed what he did, I guess. And uh, yeah, I got got taken to Murrayfield at a young age and stuff like that. And have um, always sort of grown up supporting Scotland and uh, tried to get uh, done the Scottish exile stuff at a young age. And I think I tried to get into Scotland under in 18s. I actually didn't get in. Too small. Yeah, too small. Yeah. And then under 19s. Actually, I probably was too small back then. I was probably 85 <laughs> kilos back then. Under 18s. And then uh, under 19s. Uh, got to got to finally play for Scotland. That was my first age grade cap. And then went to uh, went to Tigers Academy. So I did that school. Went to Tigers Academy, and that's all. I obviously only did a year there, but I was really grateful for my time there because when you get a big name like Tiger's Academy um, behind you. I think that sort of helped me get into the Scotland 20s and get into um, the World Cups, the Junior World Cup squad for Scotland. Didn't get kept on there. And I've sort of got offered a great opportunity on the back of a world, on the Junior World Cup to uh, go do a sevens and uh, academy contract up in Edinburgh, which was great.
0: And you said uh, you followed Jim's pathway. I, I, I see it completely differently. You've chosen to play for Scotland because of your heritage. Um, you know, you, even though you were down at Leicester and the academy there... You always wanted to play for Scotland. The difference is with Jim. Jim had a rose tattoo on his ass, and he just didn't want to play for Scotland. He wanted to play for England. he Just was not good enough.
3: It was on my arm. It was ta it was a rose. It was a thi- uh, it was a rose thistle tulip on my arm. So let's get the details right.
0: <laughs> uh, it's great to have you on, though. And let's go back to the Six Nations. What a performance! First and foremost, let's just go to the big game. Uh, when you had England's pants down at Twickenham, uh, and I can say that as a as a proud Englishman, um, you know it's been a long time coming. I think for a lot of Scottish people, um, but that day and how the Six Nations started for you and the team, especially, um, couldn't have gone any better. It was pure dominance in that game, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was an it was an amazing game. We we went down there believing we could beat England. Uh, I think it's been something like thirty eight thirty eight years since we had won there, so that's um it's ridiculous when you think about it. We had. We had some of the guys on we did like a, a weekly thing with Scotland where we'd get old players on on um, on zoom and stuff and we had we had a few of the guys on who won it in the 38 years ago the last team to win it and it's ridiculous um, to think that we haven't won it since then. Um, so it was a great performance by it was a great performance by us and um, yeah it was an amazing game we saw it was probably one of our it's probably the best game of our tournament which was a shame because it was our first game. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great day for everyone and the coaches and everyone back home as well. It's been a tough year for for everyone. And I think when you saw some of the fan reactions going around on Twitter and like some of the kids' reactions and stuff like that, it was, um, it was a great day and a really proud day for all the fans and the players.
3: What's been the shift, Hamish, in this Scotland squad? I think everyone's seen it. It seems like it's been brewing, and we've said it, Since I played 15 years ago or whatever it was, but there's always the talk, isn't there? And we've been in squads together where it's coming, it's building, it's our year. But I think ever since the World Cup and it wasn't great in Japan, let's be honest, you know, the Ireland game and then obviously the Japan game at the end. Uh, But ever since then, there seems to be a real shift and there seems to be an even bigger shift since last six nations where there was a fallout between gregor and finn i don't expect you to go into detail about that or whatever it's it's you know it's it's old news now but what has the shift been now we've now got strength and depth you know mm. hoggy's now an established leader we, we've now got quality uh, throughout our team but as a player in the middle of it have you felt that shift
4: yeah definitely i think obviously in 2017 and 2018 those six nations games i think we won three out of five as well and we're sort of heading in the right direction and it, uh it seemed like you say we were on a, we were on a good uh, a good route there, and then we sort of took a big step backwards in 2019, where we didn't do too, too well in the Six Nations, and then we we had a bad World Cup as well. And um, since then, I think I think it's just been a big buy-in from all the players. It's a, it's a very tight group of boys. I think this this COVID year has definitely helped with that sort of stuff as well. Like uh, the bonds are obviously they're always I always think they're strong in the camp. But us as players now, I think we've got such a great group of guys, and I think. Boys who have come in, take take for example Wilkes, who came in for that last France game. I think he could really feel the difference as well. It's just a very, it's a very tight group now. And um, I think it always was, but it's there's no, you know, you could have one cap or 80 odd caps. It's everyone's sort of on the same level. I think that's that's a really good place to be in. Uh, you spoke about Hoggy there, and Hoggy's been amazing. I think he's obviously when he first got the captaincy. People didn't know. People are like, oh, he's not very experienced with it, or whatever it was. But he's he's done amazingly well with the captaincy role, and I think it's someone who a lot of the players look up to. And uh, his leadership group as well have been have been really good. So I think it's just a big buy-in from all the players and and the coaches. I think the coaches have been great. Um, you know, you can you can have a beer with them after the games, and you can talk to them about family stuff. And I think I think that helps as well because you want to. You obviously need to respect your coaches and stuff like that, but you also I think it's important to be able to switch off with them as well. Which sometimes in in some other environments that like that may not happen. I think that's really important as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let's um, go back to the, the Six Nations again, then, and chat through um, the Wales game. Next up for you boys, a um, you know, bitter pill to swallow, a bit really, with the the red card as well for Xander Ferguson when. You know, you look like you, you're probably going to win the game, and you got in a bit of trouble for the, some of the comments you made as well around that. I can't not ask you about it, um, and I'm glad Emotion. it brings a smile. To, yeah, I'm glad it brings a smile to your face because there is so much debate week in week out, isn't there, at the minute around the 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 laws and how they're interpreted uh, with cleanouts and hits to the head and stuff like that. How do you feel as a player? Um, someone that's physical, someone that's involved in all these breakdowns, someone that didn't give a penalty away in the Six Nations as a a back rower, which is absolutely phenomenal. Flabbergasted. Um, Yeah, unbelievable. How do you feel about the way things are and, and, and any comments on that one?
4: Yeah, I think it's so tough. I mean, like, especially after that Wales incident, you saw in the weeks after that, just red card after red card. And it's so hard because where after I cooled off from what I, the things I said and I looked at it, obviously by the letter of law, it is a red card, player safety is the main thing. And obviously, uh, Wynne Jones could have been hurt. So I understand that what I said was, was wrong, but, and I didn't uh, put it across in the best way. But what I was meaning was, I just think if we're, I think you can almost every other ruck, you could give a red or a yellow card. And that's the problem at the moment with rugby. So yes, by the letter of law, that's a hundred percent a red card, and the other ones we've seen are probably red cards. But I think sometimes there needs to be a, a bit of room there. But it's um it's so tough, like you say, because it's all about you know the concussions and the stories you're hearing at the moment going around with some ex rugby players. It is it, really um yeah they've got to look after the players. So I think it is a red card, but it's um it's a hard one because we all know we've all played rugby and uh, that stuff goes on goes on quite a lot.
3: Uh, yeah, a Mish, on that, so, you know, when you're in the change, remember when your vice captain used to speak to the team, and I used to basically shout, let's get out there and just fucking smash them, fuck them up, and you're using terminology, right, from the bloody Coliseum where you're, you're going out there <laughs> to, to not play rugby, but I think back to how I used to live my life as a young man, as a professional rugby player, and that terminology was being used constantly, get off the line, fucking smash them, physically impose yourself, you're talking about these violent words, Mm. is it the same now, or not? I mean, because, uh, you know, Goody alluded to it, you you know, you, you didn't give away a penalty, and there's a number of players that are extremely physical, that are the same, Tipperick's the same, he's a very clean player, you know, there's instances from the weekend as well, but, are you, do you talk in that? I mean, I remember we we had a defensive line and the blitz line, which was to basically get off the line physically, was called kill. Yeah, so yeah. we used to scream kill, and we'd be in the line kill, kill, kill. And you think about it. I mean, is there a shift now in terminology in the way that you speak? You know, you speak about these things.
0: You'd, you'd have been shouting it from
3: the bench, wouldn't you, Jim? I was only on the bench for four times to Scotland when they won. <laughs> I,
4: I think um, the problem. I think the problem with it, like you have to, like you say, it's such a physical sport and if you almost don't go in with your physicality, right, you know, everyone would have had those days where you're not physically, you're not physically at that point that you need to be at to play a game of rugby and I think that's when you tend to get hurt if you're not, if you're not switched on and you haven't brought that sort so, they're probably the coaches and, stuff and stuff like that probably trying to get away from using words like that but I still think you still need to almost go in with that attitude you know it is it's a physical sport and at the end of the day what you're doing can hurt people even when you do it in the cleanest ways um you know what I mean so I think I think it is a tough one I think you've got to if you don't go in with the right attitude you're going to end up getting hurt as well so it's just trying to keep it as keep it as clean as possible and now there is a lot more coaching especially uh, to the towards the back end of this season and they are saying, like, you need to watch out for this, the, watch out for even doing a hold up. You get someone around the neck and it's going to be a card and and stuff like that. So I think the coaches are trying to bring it into the game. But like you say, you're doing everything at such um, such a quick tempo that, you know, stuff does go wrong. Because if you're not fully committed, then you're going to end up hurting yourself as well. I don't think any player goes in thinking, um, you know, the ones where they haven't wrapped an arm and they end up hitting them in the head. I don't know no players deliberately doing that.
0: And how hard is it for you as a player, someone that is, you know, at the forefront of most collisions in the game in changing those behaviours? Because, you know, Jim and I talk about it on here, it's in the press, the way you see some people still going in upright, trying to smash yeah. people up high. It, it, obviously, it's difficult to change behaviours, but you said it then, there's loads of work going in from the coaches. You, you must have seen a big shift in coaching techniques and training sessions where the focus has changed massively from that choke tackle downwards.
4: Yeah, well, I think it's, it's really hard. I think for some players, I remember I always used to be a... A low chop tackler, and then um, when Alan Solomons and Omar came in, our defence system was all about tackling high, and you all had to tackle high and hold up and slow the ball down by going high. So then to change to change your attitudes, then you change it back one way. Then a new defence coach comes in, and I think that is quite hard. So if players, if players now are, are with their club team, who may be a, maybe a maybe okay, we're going to choke and we're going to tackle high and slow the ball by doing that instead of jackling. And then they go back to their international setups and give away a few penalties for getting their body shapes wrong or for going too high. I think it is tough. It's tough to change um, just in a twelve or however long six nations eight week camp. I think that is really tough. Uh, so whether whether you go all right, well, now you can only tackle below the waist. But then when you actually look at the concussion stats for that, that's that's normally all. I think there's a higher percentage of people who are getting head knocks from getting the head bashed off the hip or on a on a kneecap as well. So it's, um, it's tough because if you're tackling high, the attacker's at risk. But if you're tackling low, the defender's at a high risk of getting um, concussed as well. So it's just, uh, it's a physical sport, isn't it? It's just going to be, I think as long as we're taking the right precautions after someone gets concussed, I think that's the main thing. You know, you, you do the protocols, you you go for all the right things. You, no one's scared of going to the doctor or the coach now. Listen, I just got just got a bang on the head. I don't think I'm, I'm right. Where I think that's what needs to change because the game's not going to change. I think, well hopefully it won't change. You know, it's a physical game and that's why people love it. So I think um, as long as the protocol's after you're getting head knocks um, changes, which it is, um, I think that's the way it's going to have to go.
3: Mesh, it's great to chat to you about these things because they are topical, but they're also quite difficult subject matters to talk about because of everything that's happening at the minute. And uh, I think chatting to you, a player that's at the forefront of everything um, that's good about rugby, but the physicality as well. It's class to be able to talk to you about that. Um, let's go on to something positive. Not that that was a negative, but it was quite deep. Um, the game against France in Paris. Now, all I'm thinking, and I, I, you know, I, I forgot about the situation that we were in, was I'm thinking... China Whites, VIP, whatever it's called in Paris, where I was with Kanye West having lost 47 points to five against France in Paris. <laughs> but it was under 50, so it felt like a victory. Um, how good was that win? And out of the two, out of the England and the France game, because they were two historic wins for Scotland, uh, which one was the best?
4: Um, yeah, it's tough. And like you say, it would have been great to actually go out and celebrate those wins as well With um, yeah, if we would have been allowed with everyone in town. But it's... Um, yeah, it's tough to say England was it's always great beating England, you know what it's like. It's um I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> it's but uh, it's our main rival and after 2019 that that nuts game, that draw, uh I think winning at Twickenham was uh, a really special moment for uh for all the players, but the the France one was great as well. Obviously I've no one I've never won at Stade de France, uh, none of the boys haven't no one's done it since ninety nine. So that's that was great as well. But I think for me the England game.
0: Yeah, that hurts me to hear that. But yeah. Let's talk about how did you find out that you were named the Guinness player of the Six Nations then and have you got a lifetime supply of Guinness as the prize? Because it must be you know, such a high accolade, there's got to be something big in there for the player.
4: I know, I was waiting for my lifetime supply of Guinness, but um, no, it hasn't come yet. Um, it's just, uh, I found out, uh, obviously you got the the nominations and I didn't know, I didn't know about that at all. I just sort of saw it on social media and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, got nominated for player tournament. There's obviously so many good players who got nominated. So I was like, oh, well, it, it is what it is. It's great to get nominated, but, you know, it's down to the fans now. So just see what happens. And then, um, we actually had a team meeting uh, at Edinburgh on the Wednesday, I think it was, uh, and it was getting announced on the Friday. And um, the media manager at Edinburgh came over to me and said, oh, I'm really sorry, mate. We've got, uh, we've got a player appearance for you to do. And, you know, it's like you've just finished Six Nations. You've had quite a few player appearances to do over the last eight weeks. And I was like...
0: Kitching, kitching, yeah.
4: I was like, kitching, kitching, not in Scotland. Not in Scotland, mate. Not in <laughs> Scotland. <mate>. Not in <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> You don't know not what it's yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he uh he was like, Yeah, you got a player appearance um to do for BT or you've got to keep the sponsors happy or something. So I was like, Yeah, all right, okay, no worries. And he was like, I'm oh, can you wear Scotland kit? <laughs> so I was like, All right, okay, yeah, no worries. And then obviously I got on got on the call that night and uh it was just like Hoggy smiling at me. And I was like, Oh I've just have you been roped into this as well, sort of thing. Um and uh, yeah, then then Hoggy. it was a complete surprise, basically. So they did. Um, I didn't see it coming, and it was a yeah, really proud moment for me. And like I said on on the Zoom call, it's not about personal stuff, but it's um, it, does, it was quite cool to to um, get the, some to get the recognition off the fans as well, because obviously it was voted by the fans, which is uh, which is really nice.
3: I can't even imagine what it was like, Hamish, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it, 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 no it, it was yeah, it was greatly deserved, and you probably don't realize as much now I know you know it's a big accolade but just imagine you know when you retire and you know you're sat in your your armchair with your kids and you can think back to that moment it's huge especially like you said with the quality of players and how good the tournament was as well this year albeit with no fans and then off the back of that and the momentum that gathers Mish around a Lions year uh, and again it's difficult isn't it because you're obviously not going to say no you don't want to go you want to go of course you want to go everyone wants to go but Can you feel the momentum gathering around yourself, apart from Stephen Jones? Who knows what he's talking about in the Times. Wrote an article today saying you're too small, but he said that I should have been a two-time tourist with the British and Irish Lions. So he does know a little bit about what he's talking (laughs) about. He
0: knows what a mug he is. That's clickbait. What a mug.
3: (laughs) Uh, But, Miss, can you feel the momentum gathering? You're obviously on social media. It's a natural thing. You you know, you won the millennials on there. Your mates and that are into rugby. And if you you are feeling the momentum and the kind of heat leading up to the tour, um, how do you feel about it
4: all? Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, obviously Scotland had a great Six Nations, and it, we sort of said at the start of the tournament as well that I think it was always the thing that Scotland couldn't win away games, and we we don't really win much away from home. But we've um, we've done pretty well with that, and you know we beat Wales in 2020, and then France and England. So I think that's that's helped Scotland fans out, um, Scotland players out, sorry a bit. You'd like to think there'd be more than two players on it back in in 2017 anyway. So I think quite a few boys have got, they've put the, quite a few boys, I think, put their hands up and stuff like that. And there's a few boys on form. Um, For me personally, uh, like you say, I think there's obviously a bit of momentum, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter uh, about momentum because I'm, I'm a strong believer that, you know, like someone like Manu should probably go because I think he's a great player and he's not played for gosh knows when, I don't, I don't know last time he played. But I would have him on the tour, so I don't think momentum's a big thing and form's a big thing. But I don't know, it's, it's up to up to one man, I guess, and um, the rest of his coaches. So listen, obviously it would be amazing to go on the Lions tour, but uh, at the same account, I feel like I've I've sort of um, played quite well in the Six Nations, and if it doesn't happen, then you know you're just you're not that his style of player, so. Obviously, it'd be tough to take,
0: but that's no, no, that's it. it is what it is. I guess. Well, mate, you said it's one man's decision. I don't think it's just one man's decision. And reports that are oh, it leaked. is.
3: No, it is. It is. Uh, Wig told me in 2013 that only Gatland <laughs> didn't want to take me. Everyone else wanted
0: me to go. So,
2: but <laughs> well, it might True change this year. As well. <laughs> yeah, it might
0: change this year because there's rumours, strong rumours, um, that Gregor Townsend is going to be the attack coach. Um, so, surely, if that gets announced on Tuesday, just drop Tooney a text and say, mate. I'm I'm the best player in the Six Nations. I'm in right.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much um, how much sway you'd have, but uh, no, I think it's I think it's important to get in 2017. Obviously, I think Gregor may have got asked for um, for a role out there as well. And but he was his first year in Scotland stuff, and obviously two two guys went on tour that year from the Scotland squad. So I think it helps having a Scotland coach in there who knows all the boys really well, and he can try and. uh, fight the corner of some scotland boys that he thinks good enough and i think that's i think that's great to have um if that if the rumors are true to have a have a scotland coach in in uh, camp
3: how has uh tooney been just seeing his evolution i think not just from the way that you lads are playing but also how he engages with the media and stuff now the access we're now getting to you lads and the kind of profile growing around the game in scotland which is obviously a big thing and it's important that that happens but just, just a few lines on Tooney really I mean how much he's kind of grown into his role under a load of pressure before the Six Nations and you know what it's like you see you know more so on the coaches than the players that are under the pressure but he seems to have now come through that and uh, he seems to be very happy.
4: Yeah I think he's um, he's been awesome like you say I think uh, people on TV may be, may be seeing it as well but I think definitely, there's no doubt about it. He's a, he's an amazing coach, and I think when we took over in 2017, everyone knows that. But it was more sometimes our attack stuff that was always really good with Scotland, and sometimes our defense let us down and stuff like that. And I think, uh, Tuner with the with the backroom staff that he has now, and his other staff, I think it's a really good blend. and And he's a he's a bit better at probably uh, loosening the reins and letting defensive as much time as attack and stuff like that. So I think he's done an amazing job. Uh, with Scotland because I remember I'd go doing an interview in 2020 when I think we lost our first two games of the Six Nations in 2020 and it was after the World Cup and stuff like that and everyone was saying oh lad 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 two knees not good for the job or whatever and I just it's sports such a fickle thing I know that from being a United fan as well and you know, one minute you're loving players, one minute you're saying they're garbage or whatever. And it's just, it's sports like that. And he then went on and won the last three games of 2026 Nations. And everyone was like, oh, he's amazing again. And I think yeah, all the players can see the difference from 2017 um, to now as well. I think just like I said earlier about the the squad environment and just the buzz in camp. And uh, I think everyone enjoys being in camp. Obviously it was tough being away from our families, but I think it it really, um we did cr- really create a great environment. That's testament to like, Hoggy, the leadership group, and um, and Gregor himself as well. So I think he's been a, he's been really good.
0: And Jim, you were one of those guys that was calling for Tony's head, weren't you, last year?
3: I don't think I was, no. I thought oh, okay. I wanted to give him another four years. <laughs> but one thing that I did want to talk about when we spoke about Fickle, producer Tim obviously gives us a load of info. We don't need as much when they're fr- friends of the show, like yourself, Hamish. But your second cap for Scotland was against Italy and Turin, and your vice-captain here was playing. It was my final outing. Yeah. Um, Is that your last surely, that was my la- I know I'm as shocked as you are. I'll be honest, I'm as shocked as you are. <laughs> that, so that was the warm-up game to the World Cup. Now, I don't cool. know if you can remember your second cap, but can you tell me straight as a mate, how the hell have I not gone to the World Cup, having trained how I did in that World Cup in 2015, and having played how I did in Turin? Have you got an answer for me? Because no one's given me one yet. Tim Swinson, that's all I'm saying.
4: It's a a travesty. All I remember from the 2015 (laughs) World Cup was you hitting ice buckets over people's heads. (laughs) Tipping
3: them. I was tipping them over. Tipping them over people's heads, yeah. What a lad, eh? What a leader.
0: So, so Jim, you've been telling us for years how you trained the house down and you were unbelievable in that camp and all you did wrong was not shake Vern's hand uh, on the breakfast after you got your last game in Turin. Um, And Hamish... Center of the mix, though. He's just said, oh, all I remember from you is just tipping ice buckets on people and whack them on the head with it. I mean, there's the legacy. There's the legacy. And killing rabbits, yeah. There's your legacy, Jim.
3: Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about killing rabbits with the SRU. <laughs> <laughs> fr- we- Hamish, if it wasn't for that World Cup in 2015, that training camp, we wouldn't be here now because we made the front page of the news uh, for a number of reasons off the back of that. So I don't want to open Hamish Watson up. He is... Um, a contracted employee of the scotland rugby union and uh it was a dark day on the daily mail saying rabbit gate on the front of there <laughs> hey it made me famous or infamous however you look at it
0: <laughs> yeah it did uh i can't get you on uh hamish without chatting about your lid because uh, my lid's made a remarkable recovery from when i played but we love the mullet what, what's the reasoning behind it is it to make up for the lack of the scottish accent well you know a bit of brave heart in there, or is there is there a bet going on, or is it just you love the mullet?
4: You know what, I don't I, I don't really know. I've right. always had like a I've always had a bit of a mullet, and it always comes and goes a bit. I think I've been like off and on since like 2013, 2014 with the mullet, which my missus loves. She she obviously hates it, but um, does I she? Know, yeah, absolutely hates it, and she <laughs> she wants it cut asap. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's I just think. You know, I I just think everyone would look better with a mullet. You know, imagine you with a mullet. <laughs> oh, if I'd,
3: he I'd, I'd I'd, had a skulllet, I'd love a mullet. <laughs>
4: yeah. I look at some people and I think, imagine him with a mullet. He'd look <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that I, I had it cut off for my wedding uh, two years ago in June 2019, and I haven't had uh, the back cut since. And uh, yeah, it's It's coming to that time now, though, where it's getting long, and I kind of I don't want to trim it, and it's getting long, and I am thinking it. It's going to have to be soon, but just uh, I just haven't decided when yet.
0: We'll know you're in trouble with the missus if it all comes off then, because yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that'll, that'll be your peace offering. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Hamish, yeah. hey, off the back of that then, um, your social media has improved significantly. Now you're a superstar, which is great. And I did see on your social that there was some Rex hats being stitched with the mullet logo. Is this yeah. correct? And am I having one soon? What do you think? you like them i don't i don't like it mate i absolutely love it i'll be <laughs> honest um so how is how is the, the cap company do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and how we can get involved because you're wearing a cap for the millions of people listening it looks very similar to the rugby pod logo
4: yeah that was um that was to give you guys a taste of uh, a taste of what we can do for you we've been trying to get in contact with you for for years um about doing some caps for you guys
3: now now you can now you're going <laughs> to player of the mate you're in Whatever you want, mate.
0: It's a it's a perfect marriage, isn't it? Because we've just signed an exclusive deal with Spotify. You're the best player in the Guinness Six Nations, and here we go. Let's get the caps out there.
3: Tell us a little bit about the hat company that is now. You're gonna you're gonna sell millions off the back of this, so you're welcome.
4: Yeah. So for people that don't know it, it's called it's called Rex Club. I own part of the company with my brother and and uh, an investor in London, and um, it's been going for about eight years now. We do all our own sort of headwear, but we also our main like target market is uh, team headwear. So we do a lot of a lot of the Premiership teams, a lot of uh, a lot of the cricket stuff in the summer. And yeah, it's um, it's basically if you have any inquiries, um, fire them over to Rex Club uh, and uh, my brother. I'm a little brother. Hand stitches them
3: all. Oh, so that. sustainable, so sustainable, sustainability, <laughs> and all that. It's got a story. Love it.
0: I love it as well because what he's done there is he's just said, "I'll just delegate that to my to my brothers who are less important than me, but we're all part of the company." So, delegation is the key, right? <laughs>
4: I will tell you what, they actually make. I was I was there on um, I was there on a Friday, and they're, they're the ones who make the company tick. I was trying to make a mullet cap, and it took me about four hours to make one cap. I'd be used, I'd be sacked in a week. <laughs>
1: Well, Hamish, well, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate, and congratulations on winning the Player of the Championship award, and I don't want to jinx it, but better luck in the red jersey against the Springboks later this year, mate.
4: Thank you very much, guys, and uh, yeah, cheers for having me on.
1: Thanks, Hamish, good lad. Thanks for
0: coming on, mate. Bye,
4: guys, take care.
1: Top,
0: lad. Top,
4: lad. (laughs) Yeah,
0: mate, what a boy, eh? Honest, uh, you know, what a player during the Six Nations, and, you know, loves the crack, love the mullet, he's not scared to give his opinion, which I love, Um and, yeah, I definitely think he's on that Lions tour. You can't not get... You can't not be on the Lions tour, can you, if you've got been player of the Six Nations. He, he's a phenomenal player. Love the mullet. Great bloke.
3: He's a great bloke. He's a proper team man as well. Uh, he's a good lad. And he is very humble, but he makes a really interesting point, doesn't he? It's like we can all talk about who we think and, you know, Owen Farrell, should he be captain? Should he even go? Maratoji should he why, be captain. Why
0: are you trying to get the, your the, mates back in here again? You're
3: there, trying to be friends there, with there, them. There, 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 it's a rhetorical questions. <laughs> Hamish is your real mate and he's the and best he player in be Six captain, And he should yeah. be captain. But Sam Simmons is the best player in the Premiership and doesn't play for England. So that's my point is, yeah. you know, he is right. Like it comes down to Gatlin, doesn't it? So if you think with Hamish, how well he's played and... You think of Stephen Jones's comments or whatever in, in the Times today. So he's got an opinion, whether or not it's right or wrong, and we're entitled to it, and we don't want to d- be divisive around it. But Hamish is right, isn't it? So for me, he's guaranteed in the, in the squad, guaranteed because he's a phenomenal player and what he brings. The big thing will be down to Gatland. Okay, so he's in the squad. You know, is he going to start? If he's going to start. Then you look at all the other number sevens. So I personally think Hamish Watson should start, not just because he's a mate of mine, because he's a world class player now. Yeah, but you look 100%. at the other, you look at the sevens that he's going to be wearing the jersey in front of, like Tipperick, uh, Curry, uh, yeah. Underhill, even though he didn't play obviously in the Na- championship. Navidi, comp- Navidi, Navidi can play, uh, Van der Fleer, You know, uh, th- th- there's so many unbelievable players, and that's probably the point that he's making. If they want, you know, they might want to go for a tall, rangy back row, but. We don't want to jinx him on here. Um, we thought we jinxed Cooney. He was unbelievable at the weekend as well. So maybe it just all comes back round. But it's great to have Hamish on. Big congratulations to him. And we've spoken about it before, Goody, haven't we? It's We're now opening the doors of Scotland Rugby to get lads to come on and be able to chat and be themselves and engage. And maybe some of that's off the back of them winning. Maybe that's off the back of one of their former vice captains on here just trying to grow the game. <laughs>
0: They were the dark days, though, Jim. The good days are here for Scotland now. Oh, they were the were Just... horrid
3: days, I'll be honest. They were the days of foundation. You know, the guys who were down there digging the dirt and digging and moving shit, they're, they're, they're the grim days. But look what's been built
1: now. But look what's been built. <laughs> you guys mentioned the news about Gregor Townsend potentially going to be uh, Warren Gettland's a tech coach. What did you make of that? What do you guys think of it? Yeah. Um, if you're not giving it to Eddie Jones to play kick chase, then the right man to get the
0: job is... Gregor Townsend, I know he wanted him and Hamish alluded to it then, didn't he, as well. He was offered a role or a, or a role in the coaching team uh, in 2017. And, um, you know, obviously didn't take it because it was his first full year with Scotland as the head coach. And yeah, listen, Gregor Townsend, he, you go back to the 97 Lions Tour and, and people will say, oh, the game's changed or whatever. He was a catalyst in that 97 Lions Tour. You now look at him as a coach. We can all see the way Scotland play. Um, Yes, they've got some wonderful attacking threats in Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg amongst others, but he's he's an attack-minded coach. So Warren Gatlin needs someone like that, and you look at the options – uh, around so obviously Stephen Jones does it for for Wales um, you've got Mike Cat over in Ireland and you've probably got Gregor Townsend as the the lead not only head coach in Scotland but he r- runs the attack as well so it for me it makes perfect sense to get Gregor Townsend involved um, and I think he'll do a wonderful job hopefully and um, you know that might push the Scottish contingency up to about four I'm joking Jim I'm joking I'm joking 14 four.
3: 14 he's ready now he arguably wasn't ready in 2017 um he's a much better coach now having been through what he's been through the pressure and stuff and, and the media spotlight on him i know you know hamish said it's been a great six nations we're still for his fourth but you look at the performances i think is what what he's starting to say now and and Fair play to Gregor. He's evolved. And like Goody said, it's not a job for boys. It's not a case of Gregor Townsend gets on tour and then I will get a load of Scotland lads in. And I think one of the things that we've spoken about and Gatlin called me out on is when we said in 2017 where he just, you know, he picked a load of lads that he knew from Wales that were closer to New Zealand than the Scotland lads were uh, wherever they were playing, uh, even though they were in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think there's an element of having Gregor on tour well, he'll be able to say, or you know, in the lead up to the tour, he'll be able to say and vouch for the Scotland players, not just as players, but their characters and all these things that are really important when you throw into a Lions tour mix.
1: Who's your money on to be the Ford's coach? Because Borthwick, Farrell, and Roundtree look like they're out of the running as well, don't they?
0: Yeah, from what I'm hearing, uh, the Lions coaching team looks something like Gregor Townsend, probably as attack, Steve Tandy as defence coach Robin McBride forwards and the legend Neil Jenkins as kicking coach um, i chuck in there Paul O'Connell line out North. unbelievable synergy with the Lions uh, Matt Proudfoot scrum coach as well he knows everything there is to know about the South Africans and let's not forget he was coach last time South Africa actually played a game which was the World Cup final uh, so yeah a couple of other names in there John Mitchell potentially I'd love to see Sean Edwards as the defence coach that's never going to happen though I don't think Um, So while it looks like Townsend, Tandy, McBride and Jenkins as his extra coaches, a little bit deflated by that. I want to see Paulie O'Connell. Love to see Sean Edwards, even though it won't happen. Uh, But Matt Proudfoot, definitely.
1: Imagine the intel that
0: he's got into the South Africans.
1: Have we ruled out Scott Robinson? Yeah, I think so.
3: I'd love him to go if I was going because the guy is an absolute legend. He's a friend of mine. We had a dance-off once. He might not remember it, but I think about it every night. So I'd love to see him. (laughs)
1: Involved, but I doubt it. It'll be over in the UK, I reckon, soon, coaching. What did you guys make of the all-French quarterfinals on Sunday? No tries in either of the games? Abysmal. Oh, oh, my France. I could I could barely even watch
3: the first game. I could barely <laughs> even watch it. It was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, bordeaux Racing. you're thinking, here we go, Jouet. I mean, I don't know whether to blame the players or blame Matt Carley, even though he had the impossible task, he should have just been like, fuck this, just let him go. Just let him play.
1: <laughs>
3: it, was, it was absolutely dreadful. It's arguably yeah. one of the worst games I've ever seen. It was like, because you mentioned it last week, uh, about they obviously know each other really well, and you know, because it's a European Cup game, Hardikin Champions Cup, that racing will probably turn up because it's a big game and they've got they've got history in the competition it genuinely looked like they couldn't be asked and it was just like whatever they looked like none of them knew the rules or the laws none of them have studied (laughs) the referee because one of the things you talk about well you talk about the highest level is you study the referee you'll be get you'll get given a load of information on what he's big on the breakdown um, or,
0: or Jim, maybe they don't in France because it's France.
3: Wow, well, they clearly don't. That's what I mean. It was everything and anything. Like, around the breakdown, hands in, you're on your elbows, not 10 metres from the scrum or the line out. It was just like, it was absolutely dreadful. And talking about it, you can actually
0: now see, I can understand from those French two teams' perspective, Bordeaux and Rasim, why they're doing that at the breakdown, why it is just lawless, effectively, at times, Because the French referees are so bad, and we say it on air regularly, the French referees just go, oh, play, does not matter. And then the French teams get an English ref. And it it does beg the question, and I know you have to have neutral referees in the Champions Cup, but when you've got two French teams, maybe, maybe just let a French ref have it, because then it might be a better game, because anything goes and it could be a bit better. Whereas Matt Carley's refereeing it the way World Rugby want him to referee the game, and the French are just playing a different game, aren't they? Um, so it wasn't a great spectacle Um, you've seen Mathieu Ray now refereeing Exeter against Leinster and just letting anything go and penalising the wrong things here there and everywhere I felt a bit sorry for the Racing and and Bordeaux boys because they're probably looking at Matt Carley going (laughs) what's he on about because they're used to the bang average French refs that have just been pulled off the streets and actually you'll do today here's a whistle have a dig Um, whereas Matt Carley has refed it For a viewer watching the game, you're following Matt Carley and going, he's dead right. Everything he's given, pretty much, is the right decision. Yet, the French boys are like, Well, this is not possible.
3: Austin Healy made the funniest comment I've ever heard in my life. Go on. So... Rassin had a penalty in front of the sticks to level it twenty-one all, which obviously would have put it into extra time. And he said, "quote unquote," I've never in my life wanted someone to miss a kick so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, a hen puts the ball in front of the sticks, and and he's saying that because and it's like you're thinking, oh, should a commentator be saying that? No, he's absolutely right. Yeah, who wanted 100%. to see extra time? It, it was like <laughs> so. I know we got a bit of stick. There was a helicopter going over the stadium and that was kind of the <laughs> highlight of the game as well. But, um, you know, you, you don't want to go too hard because the, ultimately the, the lads are out there giving it the rule and there'll still be physical parts to that. But, uh, you know, as an advert for the game, compared to the, the, the Leinster-Exeter and compared to some of the games we've seen this season in the Heineken Champions Cup and even in the Challenge Cup as well. Um, but we know... Going into the semi-final that it, it, it could, arguably, look very different.
1: What were your thoughts on the Toulouse and uh, Clermont game?
3: Better. Yeah. Slightly better, but just errors again. You, you know, Luke Pearce as I mean, this is another weird thing, isn't it? Because Matt Carley didn't speak any French in his game. Um, whereas Luke Pearce, you know, spoke a bit like Borat throughout it and uh, fair play. You, you know <laughs> he had what? a proper
0: dig. Yeah, he did well. he, yeah, he, I did, he did really he, well.
3: He did, but not enough. Like, he, he did, you know, he's done it enough and I know that, you know, both teams have got English-speaking players but I just don't know how you can build that rapport as good as Luke Pierce is. Arguably, he's in the top three refs in the world with, especially with the way the French teams play of ha- trying to have a conversation around you know, it's all right contextualizing like melee and uh, Touche Ava and Je suis fatigué and croissant and all these things in French. Um, but trying to give context around the the nitty-gritty of, of, of the game is really difficult. It did really well, it did, but maybe
0: I'm just saying that because
3: that game wasn't up to much either.
0: Yeah, I th- the big difference for me was the set piece of um, of Toulouse uh, and their control at half-back. Again... Um, and Tamak I thought was really good at, at 10 difference Cami Lopez goes off after about 15 minutes I think it was with a he got a whack on the shoulder um, in a tackle that he felt was illegal but looking at it it wasn't and those Arnold boys in the second row they're hard Arnold Para Morgan Para who's about
3: 43 now <laughs> I know well not times you see his kick at goal oh my word (laughs) they they had a chance to get back into it obviously took the kick at goal they had a couple of minutes left on the clock Easier to score a try arguably uh, than the clock running down trying to get a a penalty kick from your own half Um, and he he sent over a balloon he sent over a a balloon (laughs) but he didn't even send it over it went right yeah it was and
0: uh, that was all she wrote yeah it makes you think they need a full clear out of that a lot of players, a lot of the older players there, that have this kind of hangover. Think back to Claremont a few years ago. Again, Morgan Parra only had to take a penalty to kick it goal, and they'd have qualified. I think it was a home quarter final or something. Uh, and he tapped and went because he didn't know what the score was. And so, you just think. <laughs> have a well, they've, got,
3: they, they've got an Asian squad, haven't they? You look yeah. at. They've obviously got Thomas Lavanini, the Leicester second row, the Argentinian lad g- going over. But I'm not aware. On oh, my pens. Uh, all oh, my body though, the guy is ripped to shreds. I don't, know what's, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what's more important, that or pens. But anyway, that's all. I, when I think Thomas Lavanini, I think all oh, my arms and all oh, my bod. Um, and now you've said it, all oh, my pens, which is very true. Um, but the, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the
1: profile of that squad looks like going forward. Well, should we should ever look ahead to the semi-finals. Then, what do you make of the actual draw itself with Delaliano Are You a fan of having it like the they Cup?
0: Did Dricker have the shakes when he's holding the balls up? Um, he had the shakes a bit, and I don't know whether he needed a caffeine hit or something like that, or he was a bit nervous, but he was holding the balls up, and they were shaking a little bit into the camera, so... The balls. I liked it. It was, um, you know, and I, talking about the Champions Cup now, and how the format has been this year, and it's been kind of convoluted because of COVID and the effect of cancelling some games, and they go, I love last 16 Quarter, oh, finals, I do as well. Final, final, and I, I think you can. Yeah, we're all talking about playing too much rugby. We're talking about too many games. I think you can manage the group stages by having four group games and then last sixteen. So you lose a a game overall from the players, um, you know, season in terms of how many games they play. Because normally it's nine games to win the Champions Cup. With eight games, if you can play four group games and then last sixteen quarters semi and final I think it's brilliant so I, I, that's what I did enjoy um, and yeah the draw from Drico and and, uh, and Lawrence FA Cup style just Drico needs to work on his handshaking a little bit maybe he needs some more sugar get the star bar into you I don't know if he has star bars I don't think he does no
1: La Rochelle Leinster and Toulouse Bordeaux who do you see going through to the final
3: it seems quite obvious that it will be a Leinster Toulouse final do you wreck
0: yeah I do I don't think it's obvious because La Rochelle, the power game that they've got, and you only have to think back to what Saracens did to Leinster with their power game. Very true. La I'm easily are, convinced. I'm yeah. easily manipulated, me. Larochele <laughs> La a proper outfit, you know, across they the are. board. I, I think higher West at ten is perhaps a, a weak link, and they can't decide between him and Jules Pleisson sometimes. But Doolan at fullback, Bottier in the centre. You know, your you back row, you've got Kevin Gordon, Victor Vito, and Gregory Aldrete. Who's all right? Yeah, three brilliant players. So it'll be a hell of, I think that's a hell of a ding dong. I think in terms of Toulouse-Bordeaux, Toulouse have got way too much for them. Um, You know, especially at home, even though there might be fans, there might not be fans. But yeah, I, La Rochelle-Leinster's watering for me. Uh, Leinster are probably favourites, but La are, you know, they could beat anyone. I just think Leinster,
3: big team players, I, th- I think it's easier than you've maybe put there.
1: Well, no English teams left in the Champions Cup, but Leicester and Bath won in the Challenge Cup, and both are at home in the semi-final. So it could be an all-English final there, possibly. Oh, I watched Bath actually. How again? How Bath get rid of Zach Mercer?
0: Mental. Anyway, supporters getting political. Yeah, uh, everyone's looking at it now, going, "Oh, Bath and Leicester—they're the two favourites. But this ain't—you know—Leicester have improved massively, but they're playing Ulster. Ulster are the favourites.
3: It, yeah, it, it, yeah.
0: The way they beat the Saints, yeah, Ulster, are a proper team, you know, with internationals. Um, you know, Leicester are coming good, and they've got huge facets of their game now that will put Ulster under a lot of pressure. But yeah, it's not a foregone conclusion that Leicester beat Ulster by any means, and a lot of people will look at that as Ulster being favourites, as Jim just said. You know, stock horse back into a bit of form uh, as well. Cooney, bandwagon were on that. Geordie Murphy. They're a proper outfit. So um, that's a massive game. I, again, Bath playing Montpellier. Which Montpellier team turn up? Um, Philippe Saint-André. I saw him clapping in the stands. He was pretty happy. Even though they only just sort of snuck past uh, Benetton in the rain. Um, yeah, I'll probably go in Bath... Ah, sod it. let's go Montpellier against Ulster in the final. Jim, why being horrible?
1: <laughs> <I don't>, I'm <laughs> thinking
0: Ulster-Bath.
1: Right, well, there you go. Let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly then.
0: We'll start off in Northampton, Jim. Uh, although they didn't win, Tommy Freeman, two tries on his European debut for Northampton. He looks pretty decent, but they did lose. Um, Harry Potter, a couple of bits of magic to put Leicester Tigers into the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup, Jim. It. A bit of wizardry on the wing. Yeah. No? Yeah, something up his sleeve. Hey, there we go, there we go. Uh he gets a mention in the good. Uh Ulster, they're gonna get a mention as well. Uh it might be the top tier of Europe, but it's their first European semi-final since twenty twelve. Uh, and Cooney Stockhorse were on fire again. Uh great to see that. Larochelle, they look pretty decent. Six tries and a 45 21 thrashing of sale uh, to make it through to their first Champions Cup semi-final. Uh big tip of the slipper to them. They're a big team with some big boys and they're gonna be a big threat. too. The team that get the good this week, Jim, it's our favourite Irish team. I don't know, is it our favourite Irish team? It's one of oh, our two d- favourite
3: Irish teams. Yeah, one of our two favourites, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Leinster, uh, not many teams go to Sandy Park and win. Uh, they're looking good for a fifth European Champions Cup trophy. Uh, phenomenal performances from van der Vler. Uh Henshaw in the centre, I thought Reese Ruddock was outstanding. Byrne, when he came on at 10, was quality. James Lowe as well, I thought was brilliant um so a proper top tier performance by them beating exeter down at sandy park so the good this week goes to leinster Errr, the bad uh a few bits of bad the rainbow cup you heard about this jim i have heard about this yes is it off
3: is it on is it off is it on not too sure andrew oh speculation speculation from the top of the tree i'm involved in some commentary stuff for the premier sports over the rainbow cup i'd love to see it happen <laughs> It always seemed difficult. It always seemed difficult. But from what I'm hearing, it's still on, like Donkey Kong. Um, But again,
0: like we've said throughout this whole year, Andrew, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I do hope it is on because not only to see the South African teams come over here, get some game time potentially before uh, a Lions tour, but also for a lot of the players in the Pro 14 clubs and provinces that need top-level rugby to stay in tune and highly tuned before the Lions tour gets announced the squad and, and all that stuff so uh, it'd be a real shame if it does get canned but I'm hearing that the Rainbow Cup could be canned uh, and it might not happen with this African team so it'll basically be just like the Pro 14 Cup or something so we shall see uh, what else was bad well we mentioned it earlier that we're just going to say France Let's say it again, France. Bad. I love France, I love France. Well, I'm just talking about the teams, the games today, the referee. Absolutely Mathieu. dreadful. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Bordeaux, Begler and Racing was possibly the worst knockout game of rugby anyone's ever watched. Uh, Clermont-Toulouse was a bit better, but not great. Uh, Mathieu Reynal as a French referee, mm, not so much. Thank goodness La Rochelle were pretty decent because... Those two games on Sunday were bang average. Um, what else was bad? Sale, unfortunately, they have to get a mention of the bad, just the way they fell apart a little bit in the second half against La um, But for me, the bad, and it involves Sale, but it's not Sale, I'm going to give it to EPCR for making Sale have a six-day turnaround after beating Scarlets away last weekend Uh, and having to travel to France in a knockout game. The bad this week has to go to whoever decided to give them a six-day turnaround, say, go and take on the biggest team in the tournament in La Rochelle, away from home, with the hamstrings sore as anything from last week. Just not on, really, so uh, that's the bad for me. Uh, And the ugly. Um, Not masses of ugly, really, uh, apart from one absolute helmet who writes in a newspaper called The Times. Unbelievable paper. No, Stephen Jones saying that Hamish Watson can't go on the Lions tour because he's too small. He's just dominated the Six Nations, pal. What do you know? Uh, A real ugly piece, I thought, from Stephen Jones. But, hey, he wants clickbait, and he's got a bit from us. So, um, yeah, not having that. Stephen Jones, you get the ugly.
1: And, Goody, you've got a shout-out to finish off with, don't you?
0: Yeah, a big shout-out to Craig Taliga, who's been in touch to say the new live show date is the same day as his wedding. Well, tell you, Mrs. Sadie, not so much. Well, my cancel it's a bit harsh. Why are you being horrible, Jim? Just reschedule yeah, it is a bit your much, wedding I'll
3: be honest. It's a bit a bit much. It's a live show though, it's important.
0: <laughs> we've not had a live show in over a year because of COVID in China. Uh and we've rescheduled our live show and it coincides with your wedding day. Just just postpone the wedding, mate. Sadie, she'll understand that live shows are way more important than weddings. But he's asking us to ask her to postpone it. So what are you thinking, Jim? Should we Sadie just have a you know, it'll be nice to you. He'll you know
3: i was gonna say bring her but don't i mean you can bring her obviously <laughs> everyone's welcome but i'm not too sure that he'll want you to
0: come without being horrible he's postponed his stag as well which is never a good thing um so do you know what your priority should be one live show postpone the wedding come to the live show get the stag in and then have the wedding after the stag do because um no one's bothered about the wedding just the sag
1: thanks goody and jim while we've been recording the podcast you've had some sad news come through haven't you
0: yeah, I have actually, and it's
3: a difficult one because my phone was pinging during doing the podcast um, that a former coach of mine, Massimo Cotita, uh, has passed away. And yeah, I'm I'm heartbroken by that news. He was my scrum coach for Scotland, uh, part of the forwards as well, part of our kind of team. And yeah, I'm absolutely gutted, played for Italy, and the news has been confirmed. That's what I was just reading there as we were recording the podcast, and yeah, I'm heartbroken to say the least. Uh, he was a legend. He helped with the Italy Explorer when I retired. Um, yeah, so my thoughts are obviously go out to all Massimo's family, friends, former teammates and everyone who knew him. So big shout out from here
1: and everyone on the pod, I'm sure. Thanks, Jim. Sorry to hear that. Our thoughts are with you and of course with Massimo's family and Thanks very much for listening to this episode of The Rappy Pod. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and head over to Spotify and we'll see you over there as well. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod.